Welcome to the Service Academy Sorority, a space where women that have graduated from the service academies can share their stories and build a sense of camaraderie and sisterhood. We've got an exciting episode for you today with Joanne McCaffrey, a 1980 graduate from the United States Coast Guard Academy. You heard that right, 1980. She's one of the first females to graduate from the United States Coast Guard Academy. So you'll get to hear all about her experiences as a member of the first class of women admitted into the academy, as well as the many adventures she's been on throughout her 27-year career in the service, including her second career as a civil engineer and her third career as a mother of three. While this episode is a bit longer than most, it's definitely worth the time, and I think you'll find insight and wisdom in all that Joanne has to share. And you'll definitely want to hang out until the end of the show because I give a brief follow-up to a story Joanne shares about her time at the Academy. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Joanne. Thank you. Um, can you tell everyone where you're from, what school you went to, and when you graduated? Sure. I am the child of a military officer, so I lived in a number of places, but I went to high school and say that I'm from Wheaton, Maryland, mm -hmm. and I went to college at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy, class of 1980. The first class of women at yep. the Coast Guard Academy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, okay, to start, can you give everyone one to two lines about who you are today? Sure. I'm a retired captain, and we always like to say 06 so that we don't get confused. So I served for 27 years of commission service, plus my four years at the academy, and I retired as a captain. And um, I'm now a mother, grandmother, and caregiver to my father. And, um, and I had a second career after my Coast Guard career, and that was in civil engineering um, with a design build firm. But I've retired from that now too. Well, this, uh, this is going to be exciting. It sounds like you've done a lot of awesome things. So, well, let's go back to the beginning to start. Um, let's go back to when you were deciding to go to the Coast Guard Academy. Um, what made you choose a federal service academy and what made you specifically choose the Coast Guard Academy? And I really want to know <laughs> what made you choose the Coast Guard Academy, given that there were no women there, like you were the first class. Sure. I, um, I, I was growing up in Maryland and my mother told me that, um, it looked like the service academies were going to take women the summer that I graduated from high school. And I was well aware of the Naval Academy at Annapolis. And in fact, I was pretty well aware of the Navy because they had these wonderful commercials on TV about, um, I think the catch was join the Navy, see the world. And that sounded pretty wonderful to me. So, um, in fact, one day I was in the car with my mother and I said, I think I'm going to join the Navy after high school. And she said, you're not going to join anything. You're going to college. And then, and then shortly thereafter was when she said the service academies were going to take women. And I thought, okay, this is perfect. I can go to college. I can see the world. I can be in the Navy. 
And I guess she and my dad had some conversations about the wisdom of this. And my father got the, um, the booklet, the bulletin for the Naval Academy for me. And I had to read it cover to cover before I made my decision to apply. And it's like a little paperback book. And, um, and I read, and I did, I kind of was like sent to my room to read this thing cover to cover. And I was more psyched than ever to go to Annapolis. And, um, and so I began my application process and I had my Bloomgold interview and I brought forms to the counselor's office and, you know, just to get everything put together and made my applications to my congressman. And um, right in the middle of all that, I got a postcard from the Coast Guard Academy and it said, we're gonna be accepting women this summer. Now, mind you, I was also getting postcards from Annapolis that said, thank you for your transcript, thank you for your guidance counselor form, we don't take women. And then I got called to the principal's office at one point and the vice principal was in there and he said, I understand you're applying to Annapolis. And I said, yes, I am. And he said, well, I help all the candidates that are applying to service academies, but they don't take women. And I, and I thought, well, you're not helping me. And, and I have to apply right now because if I wait until Congress finishes making this decision, I, I'll miss the boat on congressional nominations and just the application process. So um, he did not help me and I continued to march along, sending in all the required pieces of paper and receiving postcards that said, we're not taking women. And then eventually during my senior year, it was the, the law was passed and Annapolis was gonna take women as was West Point and Air Force. And I already knew Coast Guard was, they had sent me the postcard and invited me to apply. So I completed my application to both Annapolis and my congressman and to the Coast Guard Academy, and then um, waited. Had my, had my medical, which covered both, had to have a surgery in order to be qualified. And, um, and then one day I got a call at school that I, my, in the mail I had received an appointment to the Coast Guard Academy. And I was thrilled, but I wanted to go to Annapolis. So um, I, then I found out I was an alternate for Annapolis and then it was time to graduate and go to the Coast Guard Academy. The Coast Guard Academy was reporting one week before Annapolis was reporting. And um, we, had, we had driven up to the Coast Guard Academy during my spring break. I didn't get out of the car. I didn't say a word to anybody. I just sort of looked at it, but not with great interest because I wanted to go to Annapolis. And um, so I was in the final days before going to the Coast Guard Academy, I got a call from my congressman's office that they, that I was my, um, I had an appointment to Annapolis. Mm-hmm. And I happened to be in New Hampshire having a little vacation and we didn't have a phone at our, at our cabin. 
And so I went to a neighbor's house and, um, and called both admissions offices because my father had told me to. Um, he was actually um, the one who was kind of receiving the phone calls first down at our home in Maryland. And he told each of the admissions offices too that I had now had an appointment to both academies. And I called um, Annapolis and I asked them if I was going to be allowed to make the cruises that I had read about in that book that my father had made me read. Because the midshipmen at Annapolis get to sail across the oceans to the Far East and to Europe um, while they're midshipmen training. And the admissions officer that I was speaking to said, oh no, you won't be able to make those cruises, but we'll find something for the girls to do. Oh, I know. Yeah. And And then I called the Coast Guard Academy and, um, and I asked the exact same question and they said, the training for men and women at the Coast Guard Academy will be identical. Wow. And that's why I went to the Coast Guard Academy. Wow. That's incredible. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe that as an 18 year old, I thought to ask that. Yeah. Yes. I, I agree. I that still is, don't know where that came from. It's impressive. But you, I mean, I have so many questions. Okay, so for starters, you said you were raised in a military family. So your father served? Yes, my father was um, a military officer in the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration. So he was a seagoing officer and typically deployed for six months at a time. Okay, so... What was his feeling with you being so into this idea of joining the military? I don't know. In, in the years since, he was always very outwardly supportive of me. But I, I have since um, come to realize that at one point, women were assigned to his ship that he was commanding officer of. And he referred to it as an experiment, like in air quotes, and like, like let's we'll see if this experiment works. Mm. And um, and of course he was, I mean, he was born in 1929. Yeah. So I think all of this was quite foreign to him, and probably having a, a feisty little girl like me was always keeping him off balance. But he um. He was very supportive outwardly. I didn't, I never knew any, that he had any doubts, but only in like looking in the rear view mirror, do I realize, oh, like he's the one who made me read that book. And he might've wished that it would turn me off, but at the minimum, he wanted me to know what I was getting myself into. So, you know, I have to give him an A plus, especially as a guy who was born in 1929. Yeah. Did you have any reservations going to an academy and being part of this this brand new movement of women? I mean, you were charting a new course. Did that intimidate you at all? It did not intimidate me at all. I wanted to be in the first class. I found that to be very appealing. I did not certainly give it all the thought that I should have given it, like, 
were they going to be happy to have us there? The answer is no. And um, were they going to be ready for us? The answer to that is no. And, you know, had they thought it all through? Certainly not. But um, I, I was very excited to be among the first, to be a novelty. Yeah. That's yeah, you're a unique person. <laughs> and, I, and I was psyched about the adventure of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So, um, so we talked about your, your father, but was there, what was the general feel when you started to tell people where you were going and that you got accepted? Um, I think most of my friends just thought it was weird. Um, there was another woman in my in my high school graduating class though who went to Annapolis and then there were two guys that went one each to Annapolis and one to the Coast Guard Academy. So it wasn't um I didn't I honestly didn't tell that many people cuz nobody really understood and I was I was really excited and I got my appointment presented by by the Annapolis rep at the high school awards ceremony. But I, I don't remember really too much reaction. But later, I, um, I asked my mother if her friends had said anything to her about my decision and where I was going. And she said, oh, yes. They were not very supportive and, and, and didn't think that it was wise for you to do this and let and they let my mother know, and she never shared that with me. She kept her fears to herself yeah. and was um, a really big cheerleader for me, which I also think is amazing because she was, you know, a woman of her time and she had had to give up her career when she became pregnant with me. So she was, um, she was pinning her, her dreams of a career on on her daughters, because I have a sister as well, but I was the oldest. And, um, and she, she just was never going to say you can't do it. Both of my parents never said you can't about anything that I wanted to do. And I had always been a, a little bit of a rabble rouser when it came to, I think, feminism, I guess you could say, when, you know, if, if they needed a volunteer for a job that was typically something that a boy did, I wouldn't hesitate to volunteer and um, and people would often raise their eyebrows at me, but mm -hmm. I just, you know, I just didn't think that there should, I think early on, I didn't think there should be uh, boundaries for, for girls. Yeah. Well, kudos to your parents. I mean, they definitely raised you. I mean, you asked, you don't know where you, where you got that insight to ask that question to the admissions office at the Naval Academy and the Coast Guard Academy. And I'm telling you, it came from your parents because they obviously raised someone who, you know, who they wanted, they wanted you to obviously make decisions and think them through on your own. And mm -hmm. they, they kind of like in the, in the best way, you know, mm -hmm. that's really impressive. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so tell me about that. When you got to the Academy, how many other women were in your class? There were 38 of us in the class, and we had um, the way you reported to the academy was you just showed up sometime in a window of time. Hmm. And I was, um, and what they would do is they would kind of, um, I guess they kind of corralled us till they had enough people for a platoon. 
And that kind of meant that the women, we might be straggling because they needed to have either two or four women for each platoon. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think I was the fourth because when I arrived, I had um, my suitcase, my flute and my tennis racket. And I was ushered immediately up into my platoon and I met my roommate there and there were, there were two rooms with women in them and we were right next to one another and we were right across from the women's bathroom, which we called a head. And, um, and so my, my roommate was um, a girl from Ohio whose brother was a cadet. He was an upperclassman and the two women in the other room um, didn't have any affiliation. One was from Pennsylvania and one was from New Jersey. Hmm. So, okay. So if you had to sum up your, your time at the Academy in one word, what would you, what would you say that would be? Um, challenging. <laughs> yeah. When you think back to that whole experience, was it what you were looking for? What are some of the most memorable things that you take away from that time? I mean, I feel like so much of it was memorable, but when I think about um, the highlights, I have to I have to pick out the summer training was everything that I hoped it would be, and also um, laughably disappointing in some cases. The very first summer, we went out on the Tall Ship Eagle for one week, and um, and I learned what seasickness was mm. because I did not feel well being on the bounding main on a three-masted sailing bark. But I was exactly where I had wanted to be, and there were many moments when I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this, and then other moments where I thought I might throw up. And, um, and when you had to get up in the middle of the night to stand watch and, and there was not enough water for showers that I started to realize that, um, you know, sailing is not so glamorous. Yeah. And, um, and then, and then we went on a 10 week cruise, um, after my first year at the Academy and we, um, sailed the Eagle to Europe specifically to Hamburg, Germany, which is where after World War II, it had been seized by the allies for use as a U.S. training ship. Hmm. And, um, and it had not been back to Germany since then. So we were bringing the Eagle back to Germany for the very first time. And, um, there were Germans lining the Elbe and, you know, waving scarves and stuff. And we were on top of the, the mass, you know, waving to them. And it was, it was magnificent. In the weeks before that, we had been unable to sail because the prevailing winds were from the wrong direction or there was just plain no wind. So it was super foggy and wet and cold. And, um, and, and at one point the engine broke down and we were actually towed for part of that cruise by another one of the cutters that was in the cadet, um, flotilla. Mm. So it, that was, you know, ridiculous in terms of not being what we had dreamed, what I had dreamed of. I had dreamed of sailing and 
But then again, I had done that the previous summer for a week and realized that wasn't all it was cracked up to be because it seemed like yeah. whenever we had to move the sails was right after I had gotten into the rack to go to sleep after a watch or when it was raining or when, you know, the weather was horrible. And um, so it was, it was cool, but it's also hard and wet and uh how did they manage women on those little cruises? Because you're the first class to go through. Was right. that, yeah, how did they handle that? You know what? The Coast Guard was fantastic about how they handled women in terms of they didn't handle us at all. All they really worried about was whether or not we had our own heads and showers and birthing area. So we were in... Um, there was always a small birthing area for, I'm gonna guess upper class cadets, but I don't really know because I only sailed it once I was there. So there was a small birthing area that was assigned to the women and that's where we slept and had our lockers. And then um, there, were, there was um, a, a head, you know, bathroom and shower nearby that we used it that was small but perfectly fine for the small number of women that were aboard hmm. that's kind and of refreshing I, to hear actually <laughs> yeah and yeah. then you know even in the cadet barracks when we when we got there they they really had not had enough time to prepare the cadet barracks for us and so when we went into the bathrooms, um, they had, there were two, there was a bathroom and then there was a shower room and in the bathroom, there were urinals on the wall and somebody had been thoughtful enough to put like a big tape X over the urinal hmm. because it was the women's room. Yeah. And I just, I remember looking at that and thinking, well, that was nice. <laughs> and then in the showers, they had, um, it was a gang shower, but they had installed um, these D-shaped D um, curtain rods with shower curtains, assuming that we would want privacy when showering. Mm. But during Swab Summer, which is like boot camp, you have very little time to shower. You're always rushing. Yeah. And, um, and so the deal was whoever was a good runner was who made it to the showers first after morning calisthenics. And that girl's mission was to get those darn curtains out of the way and turn, <laughs> turn on every shower head so that each of us in turn could like run kind of through them and then oh. out and towel off and put on bathrobes. They were, everyone was issued bathrobes for the first time I understand in Academy history because we had arrived. Wow. But then, you, but then you got across the hall in your bathroom and got dressed and um, went to formation. Okay. So I, I have questions about that too. Like with the women, um, with the type of woman, yourself included, that would apply to be in the first class, I would assume that you're very strong-willed women, you know? Yes. Um, so how were the dynamics amongst you at the academy? We were competitive and um, we were friendly with one another. I really liked my roommate. I liked one of the other girls in the other room, but we were, we were competing. And um, I think from 
from the first moment we got there, I think we knew that one of us was going to be the first woman to graduate from the Coast Guard Academy. And um, fascinating. We were, we were competing for that slot. I didn't and, even um, think of that. Like, what do you mean by that? Like the first woman to walk across the stage yep. with, with the highest GPA? Well, at that time, yes. You had to have the highest total score because your military bearing factored yeah. into that as well. So you couldn't just be a brainiac. You had to be squared away as well. Mm. And, and that would drive who, gradu who graduated, you know, it at the top of the class um, or who was the top woman in the class. So, wow. so we were competitive. Yeah. And in fact, there was one, the, uh, one of my classmates, we would, we, we competed at everything, but we had an obstacle course that we ran that summer, the first summer. And, um, and, and I have, um, I was blessed with really good upper body strength. And the first obstacle was to climb a rope, quite, quite a long rope up to the top and then come down. And then there were a bunch of other arm things. And then we finished with a wall that we had to scale. But then we had a decent run. We had to run that entire distance back to kind of the starting line. And, um, and I would just be way ahead of the other three women in my platoon the whole way through the obstacles. But then when the run came, I would hear my classmate behind me because she was a runner. And I would be like, damn it, here she comes. <laughs> and, she, and she said, she later told me that she would watch me on the rope and go, damn it. <laughs> and she'd be like running behind me going, I have to catch her. I have to catch her. <laughs> so oh, that's so, so we, we competed, we competed mightily. And I'll also tell you that we, the only time we were really together in any kind of decent sized group for the, certainly the entire first year was when we were in a locker room you know, for sports or for gym class or something like that. Otherwise, you were really just with the very few women that were in your platoon for the summer or company during the academic year. So we didn't even know one another very well. And on those very rare occasions where they called the women together, I can only think of two that first year. It was, um, we were not happy because a lot of attention was being drawn to us and there was plenty of attention anyway, because there were always reporters and photographers around huh. taking pictures, asking us questions. And it was, um, and that, that was already like kind of putting a spotlight on us, which, you know, doesn't go over well with your peers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I mean, you're already standing out because you're a woman and now you have these reporters. I can't yeah. even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're in line to get our first uniforms issued after we got our first haircuts and, you know, somebody's sticking a microphone in your face and somebody's taking pictures of you and oh, it was brutal. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that was a little, that was a little rough. And I mean, if anybody thought it was kind of like cool that first day or, or two, we soon learned that this is not cool. This is bad. Yeah. Cause, um, cause we could kind of gauge the reaction of our classmates and you know, those were going to be our kind of our only allies for a while here. So, yeah. so at the Academy, were there any sports or extra extracurricular activities that you could be involved in as a woman? Well, there was a requirement that you play two sports every year, and that could be intramural 
or intercollegiate, but with so few women in the class, we couldn't, the only team we had the first year um, was gymnastics. And I was a gymnast and another, another girl was a gymnast. And then a bunch of other girls just joined the gymnastics team. We were all, and this is something that I don't think women of your generation will get. We were, we were pre-Title IX girls. So it was not unusual in my hometown, for instance, the youth sports league was called the Wheaton Boys Club. Mm. There just weren't sports for girls. There yeah. were high school sports, but how you learned those sports or made it onto those teams was kind of a mystery to me because I never played youth sports. I never played any organized sports. Um, I did gymnastics briefly in school. So I went out for the gymnastics team. The girl who was always trying to catch me and often did on the obstacle course, she became, she was the cross, the women's cross country team. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and, and not welcome. There were no red carpets rolled out except for this, for the gymnastics team. They were like the gym, the men's gymnastics coach was very happy to give this a go. And he had two volunteers who coached us. But um, otherwise, there wasn't anything that first year. I have one classmate who tells a story of um, guys in her company saying, hey, you know, there's a meeting for the crew team tomorrow. Do you want to come to the crew team meeting? And she said, yeah. Like, she's really happy that these guys were inviting her to the crew team meeting. And, um, and so she went down to the crew team meeting and crew was huge in the seventies at the Coast Guard Academy. I mean, we went to all the big races. We had guys who went out for the Olympic team. So she went down to the crew meeting and there was literally a bleachers full of guys. And there was two of us. I was there too, or maybe three. And, um, and co the coach, rest, rest in peace, he like was starting his spiel about crew and he looked over and he saw us and he said, what are you doing here? And the guys died laughing because they knew that was going to happen. Yeah. Uh. And, they were, and, um, and I was like, I'm out of here. And I left and she stayed. She said at that moment, she knew that crew was going to be her sport. Stuck oh. with it for four years. She was a coxswain. She did anything to be on the crew team. <laughs> wow. That, I can only imagine the, the personalities on the women that were in that class. They must have been really <laughs> strong. Yeah, it makes she sense She kept recruiting. Me. I mean, I went back and rode crew the next year. When the next class of women showed up, she assembled a boat of eight. Oh, that's incredible. That is incredible. And that same coach was not happy about it. <laughs> Wow. Oh my God. So, so tell me about the men and how they received you. You know, they went the, the whole spectrum. The guys who were our classmates had just been to high school with girls. So to them, I don't think it seemed particularly odd unless they had this vision of, you know, going to an all male service academy, which we were now ruining for them. The class immediately above us was brutal. They called themselves the last class with balls. Mm. And, um, and they took great pride 
in that moniker. And then the class that trained us, the class of 1978, I think that because they had trained us and had seen us from day one, you know, working hard or our hardest, I, I felt that by and large, they were pretty accepting of us. And mm -hmm. I think the first class, the seniors, seniors and, and freshmen really don't interact very much. So to me, they seemed very aloof. Like, you know, they were just working on their last year. Yeah. But I know that when the first, we have adaptability polls at the Coast Guard Academy and they're a forced distribution. And so that means that you have to write up good, maybe four of your classmates or four in each class and, and bad, maybe four, you know, bad write-ups for the, all of the fourth class in your company, let's say. And I remember, um, when it was time to kind of be like presented my adapts that first semester, um, my squad leader who was in the class of 79 called me in and handed me a stack of horrible adapts. Like everybody had picked me to be in the bottom four in my company. And I sat there in front of him and cried as I read them all. So I'm sure it was, a terrible afternoon for him and it was certainly a horrible afternoon for me too the fact that it was a forced distribution really didn't help at all what what does that mean forced distribution it meant that you couldn't you couldn't say everybody was great oh. and just you know you couldn't say everybody was in the middle of the road you had to you had to um, grade everybody on a bell curve and the and the top four and the bottom four you had to explain why you put them there I see. Okay. In words. That is brutal. It was tough. Yeah. And I took it to heart. I didn't think, oh, it's just because I'm, you know, a girl. I thought it's because I have a big mouth or, you know, all of the things that maybe I thought were wrong with me. I, you know, I just took it to heart. And of course, um, yeah, I was very sad because I wanted to succeed. And, and like I said, we were competing. Although by then I had gotten my first grades and I knew I was not in the competition to be number the first woman to walk across the stage. Did that, in some ways, was that a relief? It was, I wouldn't even say it was an epiphany. I really didn't, given how late I received my appointment, I didn't think that I was um, at the top of this heap. Gotcha. You know, I figured I was going to have, I was going to struggle. Mm. And immediately, you know, during swab summer, I realized, okay, you're, you're not much of a runner. Um, I, I did okay. But, and, um, and then in the classes that we had during the summer, it wasn't, it wasn't a piece of cake. And then when we got into the actual academic year, there were some classes that were, that were quite difficult. And, um, and I, I, so I knew, I knew that I was, I was not killing it academically. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And so, so as you progress through the academy, more women started entering in every class behind you. So what was that like? It was wonderful. The, the next class arrived while we were, um, on our summer cruise. And, um, and um, among that next class was my sister. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 
so she, so she came she was in the class of 81 and um i would write her letters and um and she didn't i don't know that she wrote me any letters because it was swab summer for her but um you know we got back and there were you know another group of girls like me and you know you know from going to academy sometimes it, it felt like there just were no girls like me so it was exciting to meet them yeah. and now suddenly we were being called together and being asked about teams hmm. like what what teams do you guys want to have and um and we and we talked about numbers by then some of the women in my class were in academic trouble and they weren't going to be able to play on a collegiate team but um but there were you know between the class of 80 and 81 we figured we could field a volleyball team and a basketball team and we did. That's incredible. Did you, so were you really still a gymnast? Exciting. No, I left the gymnastics team to be on the um, volleyball team. Okay. Okay. I don't know. Maybe it was basketball that overlapped. I, I was a joiner. I, I would join anything to make sure that there was representation. And even if I had no idea what I was doing. And I was also, I was in the marching band. I was in the um, the girls' singing group that my third class year, and I um, and I sang in the chapel during, at church on Sundays. Wow, wow! It's just interesting listening to you talk because I can just tell you real quick, like at the Merchant Marine Academy um, when I was there from two thousand to two thousand four, um, I was pretty much the cross country team. Like there was a there was a small number of us, and as I went through, it got a little bit bigger, and now it's like huge, but we by no means had enough women to place. And it, it was the same kind of game that you were playing back in the eighties at the Coast Guard Academy, where it was like, do we have enough women for this team and that team? We had a few teams that were structured at that point, like softball, mm -hmm. but the women pretty much bounced around. So we had a lot of like multi-sport athletes that would do like, you know, like every sport because they wanted to make sure we had enough women for every team that we had. That was me. Yeah, yeah, that was me. Yeah. Interesting. In fact, that's what people always joke about. Like, how many how many sports did you play? And I go, I, all of them. I rode yeah. crew. I was on the softball team. I was on the basketball team and the volleyball team. And I did gymnastics as well. Oh, that's crazy. And coming from a childhood where, you know, that you had no access to that stuff. And now you're I like. Know. <laughs> I know. I was not bad either, you know. That's, yeah. But, that's, that's but then they then they wanted, uh, they wanted. I think that they're that the cheerleaders at the academy used to come from like maybe of the girls' school across the street, and so they wanted to have cadets be cheerleaders, and I did that too. Wow! <laughs> my third class year, my parents came for um, parents' weekend, and they were at the football game because that's something that you know we do. And um, and I was in I was a cheerleader, and then I went running off to change into my marching band uniform and did the halftime show and then rushed back and put my cheerleading uniform back on to be a cheerleader for the second half of the game. And my mother said, she turned to my father and said, I am very concerned about how many activities she's in. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, well, Joanne, what were some of your goals while you were going through the Academy? Like what did you hope to do, you know, when you got out? The training at the Academy um, exposes the cadets mostly to our seagoing mission and, and heritage really. So most of our training 
had to do with ships. And so I knew I was going to a ship. Well, let me qualify that. At, when we, the, for the first two and maybe a half years, women were not allowed to serve aboard Coast Guard cutters. We were allowed to train on Coast Guard cutters, but we couldn't be assigned to one because the Coast Guard becomes part of the Navy during time of war. Mm. Mm-hmm. So there needed to be some legislation passed for women to be able to serve aboard Coast Guard cutters. And that happened in 1978. I never doubted that that would happen. And that may have been naive, but I was right. So we, all of us were very focused. Every cadet at the academy is very focused on their first unit. And, and um, we, at that time, you would select your first ship based on your class rank. Mm. So um, there's plenty of incentive to work hard to have a decent enough class rank to pick a good ship in a good spot. And at that time, um, buoy tenders were considered very um, good ships because you got a great deal of ship handling experience and they typically pulled in every night. Whereas a high endurance cutter tended to go lower in the class because they were underway for a longer time and you didn't get a lot of ship handling. You got plenty of watch standing, but it was, you know, out in the wide open sea. But the high and medium endurance cutters got law enforcement and our mission of intercepting drugs was very, um, was a, was a big deal in the 70s. So there were lots of things to choose from, but mostly, you know, it was just we're focused on getting to a ship. And everybody knew that if you did well on your first ship, you could get command of your own patrol boat coming off of your first larger ship. So I think that was many, many people's dreams. If it was, if that wasn't their dream, then they probably wanted to go to flight school, which was also something you couldn't do until you served your two years aboard your first unit, Mm. your first ship. So I was focused on, um, you know, getting a decent billet coming out of the academy and then would have loved to have had my own command afloat following that. But the, um, my very first, day at the academy um there was a boy who took a shine to me and it wasn't too long after that that I took a shine to him and um I ended up getting engaged my first class year to him Mm -hmm. and then marrying him the day after graduation so as that took shape I realized that we were going that we were going to want to be assigned to Coast Guard cutters in the same city if possible and that meant we were going to have to choose Coast Guard cutters in the same city and um so that limited our options and then subsequent to that when when we filled out our dream sheets for our second assignments we, I think we both said that we'd like to command a patrol boat, but that our first priority was co-location. And, um, and if your first priority is not to command a patrol boat, you're probably not going to get to command a patrol boat. Gotcha. Interesting. Interesting. So did you start dating him during your plebe year then? 
or your uh, yeah, swab year. Swab year. I was gonna say, <laughs> what do you call it? Yeah, okay, your swab year. So you started. I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We okay. dated for four years. We um, he dumped me a few times, which I deserved. <laughs> but um, eventually, we got married, and that's the guy with whom I have the three children and five grandchildren today, oh, forty my years later. Goodness, incredible! That is incredible. Um, okay, before before we dive further into your career. Um, were there any major lowlights while you were at the academy? I know you talked about the adaptability polls um, and some of the tensions between the women and and obviously the men, uh, the upperclassmen. But was there anything else that really stands out as being like, you know, a major lowlight during your time there? There, there was. There was. Um, there was a period of time when I was being harassed. Um, not sexually harassed, just harassed. And um, I, I would find myself being the subject of skits by underclassmen. And then I, on several occasions, I went, I had away games with the basketball team and came back and someone had trashed my room. Huh. And I felt, um, I felt like people really didn't like me. And that was, um, and I didn't, you know, really know why. And that was painful. And I seriously considered that was um, all my third class year, which is the year before you must commit to stay. And, um, and I seriously considered cashing it in at that point. Because I just, I, I just wondered, why was I doing this? I had been an honor student in high school, uh, you know, I was working hard. And why was this happening to me? And, um, and the same people that were, well, actually, I don't know who was doing that to my room. I still, to this day, don't know who was doing that. But there, was, there were a group of upperclassmen who, I think, I think to get to me, were giving my boyfriend demerits huh. every day for, you know, stupid stuff. They were obviously on him. And I thought it was to get to me. And, and I, there, was a, there was a reason, and it was that I had, um, I had caught a classmate doing something wrong. And, um, and I had shared that with a friend. And, um, and then, then that friend had shared it with another friend who said, Joanne, you have to turn her in. It's the right thing to do. And, um, and so I did, and a couple people ended up getting in big trouble. And, um, and I sincerely regret having done that because I, 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 I think I was duped almost. But it was, it was the friends of those folks that were doing this to me. And I don't know if that was related to the, my room getting trashed, but it was just a rough year after that happened. And I, um, and I seriously just considered leaving wow wow for, well yeah i mean but for you to consider that it must have really been tough because i mean after everything you've been through to get in and yeah yeah, oh. yeah. I'm, I'm glad you stayed and made Thanks. it through <laughs> honestly so am i yeah and i have i have in the years since you know so those people will pop up occasionally and i'll corner them <laughs> why are you so yeah. mean to me <laughs> Did you ever get any answers? I have. I have from 
from some classmates, actually. They said, we were jealous of you and Frank. Wow. So we were mean to you. Oh, it just highlights how young you are when you go through an academy, right? That's what really, that's what really struck me. And the fact that that never occurred to me. I seriously thought that maybe, yeah. you know, I had some personality flaw, but, you know, just, yeah. Wow. Oh. Dumb stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. So are there any like major lessons learned that you want to share uh, from your time at the academy that you took into your career? You know, I, I kind of entered my career the way I entered the academy. I, I knew what I was getting into. In fact, the ship that I selected was the one I had done my first class cruise aboard. So I was familiar with the ship and some of the people aboard. And um, so I, you know, I came aboard and I was hell bent on doing my best. And um, my boss was not a nice person. He would badmouth my classmates who were serving on board to me. He, he would say, you know, that guy's always sleeping or that guy's this or that. And I, um, and I thought, well, you know, anybody who will talk to you about somebody else will talk to about you to somebody else too. So I just, um, my, this is a, my mom's phrase, keep your nose clean. So I just, I just kept my nose clean and I, and I was sensitive to the fact that people like to make fun of the ensigns and say we're lazy or something like that. So I made sure I always had my qualifications book under my arm and was striding confidently through the ship at um, regular intervals so that people knew I was working hard and I was working hard and I, you know, so, and I tried to treat my, um, the crew that um, was in my division with a lot of respect and um and and they treated me really very well while i was aboard i had a um i swapped out bosses in the middle of my assignment and with my second boss he um gave me my fitness report one year and he said um i think the fitness report actually said that i had done a very good job with a difficult leadership challenge. And I asked him, what, what is it? I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, you're chief. He could not stand that he worked for a woman. Wow. And I had no idea. So once again, my naivety, I don't know. I think it helped me quite honestly. I just, mm. I just again thought, Oh, the chief, you know, he doesn't like me. Hmm. I didn't think he doesn't like me because I'm a woman. I yeah. just thought, oh, he doesn't like me. And I didn't really think he just needs to get over that because I was a junior officer and he was a chief. He had many, many years in the Coast Guard, in the radio room, because I was the communications officer. So I, you know, I just kept, kept at it. Not trying to win him over necessarily, but trying to learn from him because that's what you're supposed to do when you're a junior officer. And, um, and I, I was, I had that surprise. And then I had kind of a, a, a patriarchal figure as my commanding officer. And despite the fact that I believe much of the leadership thought that I was one of the sharper junior officers, 
I was never allowed to make a law enforcement boarding. The, the big deal for the Coast Guard was boarding suspected vessels suspected of carrying drugs. And I was itching to make a law enforcement boarding. I had good qualifications with um, a pistol. I knew everything and how to do it. And I was in good physical shape, but I was small. And, um, and he was too nervous to let me make a boarding. Mm. So I never got to make a law enforcement boarding. And that sucked, but um, he's the CO. It's, you know, it's up to yeah. him. And if, if some, you know, criminal aboard the ship had grabbed me and, uh, you know, and I became a big incident, that would have been very bad for him yeah. and me. Yeah. So I get it, but I felt very jealous of the guys because they, they always got to make the boardings and I was just as good as they were at all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's tough. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, when you're, I feel like even women that go to these academies now, it's like when you feel that you're being limited you know, in any way, if you're drawn to an academy, you're obviously someone who's like a go-getter. You feel like you can do it. You, you know, you want mm-hmm. to push yourself and to feel like you're being limited by the system in any way. It's like, oh, that's so aggravating just because you're a woman, you know, for no other reason. Yeah. So, um, but just go back for a second. So you said you got engaged and that co-location was your, your primary thing. So what happened with you and your, your husband? You, you both got put in the same place? So the first assignment coming out of the academy is aboard ship. And you, we have, um, at that time, it was so cool. They don't do this anymore. But there was this big board in this hallway in, um, in the cadet barracks, which is called Chase Hall. And you would have your, um, your calling card. And on your calling card would be your class rank. And you would go and you would put your calling card where you wanted to go, what ship you wanted to go to. And, um, and you, could, you could go to that hallway as many times as you wanted. And, um, and y- if you got bumped off your ship, you would be put into the bumped envelope that was on the wall. And anybody higher than you could bump you. Hmm. And, this, and this went on for weeks, I think. And then on billet night, hopefully, you have a pretty good idea of where you're going to be able to put your card on that night, which is final when they call your number. And we had had um, a discussion in the class about how to manage the um, couples that were getting married, because I think there were three of them. And um, so if, if somebody was real high in the class, they would want to pick maybe a buoy tender, like I said. And if they were marrying somebody who was low in the class, there would be this long wait to see if that person could get, you know, maybe a high endurance cutter in the same city or maybe a couple cities over or something like that. And, um, and what we decided was that if, if at some point all the all the ships close to the person that was high in the class got taken that person could pull their card and now suddenly everybody behind them could you know would have a shot in order at that um desirable billet fortunately for me my husband my fiance was um he was just a few numbers below me 
And so we didn't have long to wait. And we had already reconciled ourselves with the fact that we were going to New York City, which was the least desirable location in the whole Coast Guard. Really? Why is that? Well, because um, uh, I guess because it was New York City in the 70s. Which, yeah. was not, which was not a great place. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forget but about that. for us, it was, we went to Governor's Island, which is an island south of Manhattan. And it, um, it had lots and lots of apartments, which we were not guaranteed one because at that time, if you had a stateroom aboard your ship, then you were lodged, you had, you had birthing. And, um, and if you were married to another member, you had no dependents, and if you had no dependents, you didn't qualify for housing, so you wouldn't qualify for an apartment. Mm. But we had uh, we had friends who who helped us get on the housing list, and the housing officer gave us an apartment. So um, so we picked two ships on two separate piers on Governor's Island, New York, and we got an apartment on the island. And, um, and we did not see a lot of each other that year because his, his ship was smaller than mine and it would go out for shorter patrols, but more of them. And mine would go for longer patrols and fewer mm. of them. And, um, you know, and sometimes we were in port together, but not often. But we knew that going in. So. Yeah. Well, so, so how did that play out? So, because you, you're still married to him. So obviously the two of you did something right with your career to make it work. And so what was your career trajectory after that first ship and how did you make that work with your, with your husband? So, as I said, we said co-location was our first priority. And, um, and I, and, and I think we both asked for patrol boats, you know, why not shoot for the stars? Um, and neither of us got patrol boats. Um, I actually went back to the academy to be an admissions officer. They really wanted to have a woman in the admissions officer at the academy, in the admissions office at the academy to help recruit other women. And, um, and my husband was assigned to the Naval Academy prep school in Newport, Rhode Island. So we were an hour apart um, for that next assignment. And, um, and while I did not get a patrol boat on my final fitness report from that same captain who would not let me make a law enforcement boarding, he personally recommended me for graduate school. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the first time I thought about graduate school, to be honest. And um, so while I was an admissions officer, I applied for graduate training. And I was selected to go to grad school in ocean engineering, which is what my bachelor's degree it was in. Huh. And, um, and, and so I went to the University of Rhode Island from, from, the, from my assignment at the academy. And my husband left Newport, Rhode Island and was assigned to a cutter in New London, Connecticut. And then he was assigned to teach navigation at the academy while I was in grad school. And during all of that, we had three babies. <laughs> wow. How did you manage that? Um, you know, thank God for youth and stupidity. 
because <laughs> we just went for it. You know, we wanted, yeah. we knew we wanted to have a family. We knew we wanted children. My husband is the oldest of five and I'm the oldest of four. And, um, and so we had, we had the first child while he was at the Naval Academy prep school, he was a company officer there. And, um, and while I was in admissions, we actually had the second baby when I was still in admissions and he was aboard the ship in new London. And then, um, and then I got accepted for graduate training and I went off to the university of Rhode Island and I had, I was still a nursing mom with a toddler. So I had a baby and a toddler and I, found myself at the University of Rhode Island with all these kids who had come straight from their undergrad programs into a master's program. Oh my goodness. And I couldn't remember what a derivative was. I, you know, I couldn't remember anything. And I had a toddler and a baby at home. But, you know, I, I got, and I was dressed like a mom. And uh, so I fixed that right away. And I just, as my mother would say, put my nose to the grindstone and worked. And my husband picked up the slack. You know, he would he would bathe those kids while I was crying over my homework because I didn't know how to do anything anymore. But then I started to get it. And then I moved into my thesis portion of the program and said, let's have another baby while, you know, while we're still here while I'm in grad school. Ooh, you are a tough cookie. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I defended my thesis on Monday and I think she arrived the following Tuesday. My, and my, the first question that the thesis committee said was, when's that baby due? <laughs> it's as big as a house. Oh my goodness. So but I had her, we had some leave and then we picked those three kids up and we went to Cleveland, Ohio for our next assignment. So, okay. So you were still in the Coast Guard while you were in grad school. Oh, heck yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> wow. So, yes. so tell me something like when you graduated from the Academy in the first class of women, were there female officers in the Coast Guard already in any other capacity or? There were. There okay. had been, they had commissioned, I think the first women were commissioned out of the officer candidate school in 74 maybe okay okay and in fact in 78 when they said women could go aboard ship several did and in 80 i think it was the year we graduated two of them got patrol boats wow so we had we did not know these women but we knew of them Okay. So we, you know, we, we were already seeing what the possibilities were. And then there were even a couple of women from those first OCS classes assigned as company officers at the Coast Guard Academy. Gotcha. Okay. So they, so the Coast Guard as an entity was already kind of getting used to seeing female officers when you graduated. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. So now you built your whole career. You go to grad school you have babies. Uh, you're with your husband. You go back after you have your third child. And after you graduate, you then, you said you moved to Cleveland. We did. Yeah. I had, okay. um, because they sent me to grad school for two years, I owed them four years. Okay. And my first assignment would be at an engineering unit. And there was, um, a civil engineering unit in Cleveland. Okay. 
So my husband got a position in the in, in Intel office, I think, in Cleveland, and I and I was assigned to Civil Engineering Unit, Cleveland. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, so is that where you stayed until you left the Coast Guard or? No, no. But an interesting thing happened in Cleveland. And that is that um, I, I realized as my children were going to preschool that, that, we had someone come to the house. So not a live-in nanny, but sort of a nanny, a babysitter that came to the house. And so she would arrive when the kids were still asleep and we would go into um, our offices in downtown Cleveland. And then when we got home, we would hear about their days. We would see their artwork on the counter, but the nanny would have put them on the bus and seen them get off the bus and given them a snack and you know and then they go into whatever they're doing in the afternoon until we get home and at that point my heart started to hurt because i realized that i was missing their exciting day mm. i was not part of it i was in downtown cleveland yeah and um and i started to kind of melt down over it and i went to my boss and told him that I was, you know, not, not doing well and, um, and thought I would like to leave the service, mm. but I had obligated service for grad yeah. school. Yeah. So I wrote a letter requesting to resign and return essentially to take a break. Mm. And, um, and it was endorsed positively until it got up to my admiral who said, no. Grad school is too big of a carrot to allow someone to escape their grad school obligation. And, um, and that was that. Wow. And my boss delivered that news to me, but he said, I think that behind the scenes, people felt for me. They certainly felt for me at my own command and, um, and in like the intervening command. But, um, so he said, look, if you want to work from home, you can work from home. Wow. Which was unheard of at that time. It yeah. Was yeah. 1990, I think. Wow. And um, there, I mean, we had just gotten computers, you know, that had green letters dancing across the screen. <laughs> Symphony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. there was no telecommuting or anything yeah. like what yeah. we know today. But um, I... I was really, really grateful for that, you know, concession. And I, so I gave it some thought and I said, you know what, I think if I could be at home one day a week and on that day, get to volunteer at my kid's school and put them on the bus and get, see them get off the bus and gush over their artwork that I would feel so much better. And so Back in those days, because computers were so new, you literally had an inbox that was full of stuff, folders, papers, things that needed to be reviewed. I was an engineer, so there were designs to be reviewed and specifications to be reviewed and contracts. So on one day a week, I would take my actual inbox home the previous day, and I would work on it. In between doing those things that a stay-at-home mom does, and it um, and it 
it saved me. Yeah. It's just incredible. It's just such a balance and a juggling act. And like, it really, when you have a child and you're trying to be a mom, it's like, it's so tough to balance, you know, like those two poles inside of us as women, you know, that want a career. It's just so natural to want to be with your children and your babies. And uh, right. so, yeah. And you know, my yeah. husband, he did not have a grad school obligation. He said, how, how about I, I'll, I'll quit. And uh, I said, that's not, that's not going to fix it. That's very nice. Yeah. The kids would be psyched, but that's not going to fix it. But, you know, an, a miracle happened during those. I, I still had two years left in my obligated service and my assignment in Cleveland. And um, a, a young woman who I had, um, I had worked on her admission when she was, you know, in high school, I had met her actually, was now, I think, a lieutenant at headquarters. And she had been assigned to the women's study group that was looking at the attrition of women. And guess why women were getting out of the Coast Guard? To have babies. Right. Yeah. So she called me up and she said, Joanne, guess what just landed in the middle of the conference table of the women's study group? And I said, what? And she goes, your letter. She mm. said, we're looking at it. I think it's going to happen. I think we're going to wow. come up with a program that allows you to take a sabbatical from your career huh. to care for children. Wow. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is amazing. And um, so in the next, so in the next two years, while I was taking my inbox home, you know, one day a week and delivering cupcakes and all the things I wanted to do, um, the women's study group put forth a proposal that once in a career, you could take two years off to care for a newborn baby. Wow, look at you. You're pioneering all this stuff. That's incredible. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, at the end of my service obligation, I asked for that program, but guess what? I didn't have a new baby. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. My baby was almost four. Yeah. Yeah. And I said so. And, um, and I remember somebody who's, you know, how they, it, I, I imagine it goes through different people's inboxes at headquarters. And somebody called me up and said, so are any of your children's special needs, you know, learning disabilities or anything like that? And I said, nope, they're all just fine. I just want to spend some time with them. Mm. And I said, and if you don't grant my request to take two years off, I'm going to resign my commission. And, um, and then a woman who went on to become an admiral, Sally Bryce O'Hara, called me, I think from the parking lot at headquarters, and she said, Joanne, I know that you've been asked about special needs and things like that, and I'm so glad that you said it was just about you and your kids because I want to push this. You should be able to take this time off. You shouldn't have to have a baby. It should be when you feel you need to take some time off. Mm. And there were a million other caveats. You couldn't have obligated service. You couldn't be in the first year of a new assignment. You couldn't be in the last year. I mean, there was just all these different rules. And I, I was good to go on all of them except for I didn't have a new baby. Oh. And, um, and they granted it. I got to take two years off and I left the service as a new Lieutenant commander. I had just been selected for promotion and had pinned on Lieutenant commander and I had 12 years in 
And um, two years later, I came back as a new lieutenant commander with 12 years in. Wow. That's and then incredible. I went on to serve in engineering assignments exclusively in Virginia um, until I retired as a captain with 27 years. That is amazing. That is, and then after that, you had a whole nother career in civil engineering, correct? I did. Yeah, I did 10 years with a um, design build firm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I mean... I could talk to you for hours here about all of this. <laughs> Honestly, it's fascinating. But I, I do want to know at this point in your life, how do you currently feel about that decision to attend an academy? I am so grateful. And, and I mean that sincerely. I'm grateful every day um, because I have a pension from the Coast Guard for my service and it's my own and for um women of my generation that was not something that we really dreamed of yeah women um uh, right up until the time that this opportunity was open to me um women often went to college to to get an mrs and they relied upon the support of their husbands and then they needed to you know rely upon that for their entire life and if they should lose their husband they they might not have any financial stability whatsoever and um just in case people didn't catch that the mrs is misses correct yes yeah. yes <laughs> yes yeah and um you know there were plenty of women who were in the you know that were working they um it was often as teachers um, but you know, you were expected to leave your career once you had children mm -hmm. and to work long enough in one spot to earn a retirement that, that I'll receive for the rest of my life. My children never have to worry about me financially. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I don't need to worry about me. Yeah. So I am so, so grateful. And then, and then just for the adventure, that's what I started as a teenager. When I was reading the Annapolis catalog, I wanted the adventure of it. I, I got it in spades, and I'm so, so grateful for that. You know, such an interesting education. I got challenged. I got and to jump out of a helicopter. I, it, it, was, it was amazing. And you got an MRS. I did get an MRS. <laughs> you got it all. <laughs> and three great kids. Yeah, yeah. I did. I got it all. At no point did I feel like I was doing any of it to the best of my ability because I always had too many balls that I was juggling. But that's how I like it, I think. Mm. That's the life of a woman, especially that one that becomes a mom. I think yep. it's just you're just if you're career driven and you're oh, it's just mm -hmm. always juggling a lot. No um, easy choices, but no easy choices. Lots of options now, and I yeah. to to me when when I look there, there were more than a hundred women I think that graduated from the Coast Guard Academy this year. Yeah, it was the largest group and largest percentage ever. And I, you know, it's forty years later. I just could not be more pleased because I think that was really. I know that's what I was dreaming about that, you know, that someday it would not be weird that yeah. there were women there. Yeah. Oh. Well, we all thank you for paving the way. I'll tell you that. So, um, 
So just to wrap up, um, tell me what's next for you. I, um, I, I am traveling when I can, but I take care of my father. My, I lost my mother several years ago and my father needs help. He's 90. And um, so I split his care with my sister. And when, uh, when I'm not caring for him, I try to enjoy life to the fullest. And that means visiting grandchildren, visiting the beaches of Normandy. My next trip is to Poland. So I, um, I'm just trying to live life to the fullest. And um, so thankful that I still get to. So you're still adventuring. Yes. yes. I love it. <laughs> yep. mm -hmm. um, do you have any parting words uh, for other fellow service academy sisters that have graduated in the years after you and anything to, to leave us with? You know, I would try to hold on to that career. I always feel so badly when women give up their career for someone else. And that includes your children and it includes your husband or, or whoever it might be because it's your career and you worked hard for it and it will pay off for you in the end. And even those little kids that are drawing you home, that's fleeting. They're gonna all be in school soon. And my children have no bad memories of those years when I was working. Well, I don't wanna overstate it. They, you know, I hear a gripe here and there, but they, you know, they're really proud of me. Mm -hmm. They're really proud of me. Yeah. And, um, and my girls in particular are such fierce professionals. And yeah. one of them served as a Navy nurse in Afghanistan. And now she has four children and she's a doctor of nursing practice. Yeah. And the well, other is in finance. So they're just, you know, they had, I think that the first, the first mommy to go to work in a family, it's very hard, but you make, you set a wonderful example, especially for your daughters, but for your sons too. My son would never consider that his wife ought to take on a bigger role than he does because my mm -hmm. husband and I have truly shared in all of the activities mm. of raising a family. Very wise words. Not Thank easy, you. but very wise. Not easy, <laughs> but don't give up your career. You yeah. Earned it. Yeah. Um, okay. And before we go, uh, if you had to have dinner with one person, anyone in all of time, who would it be and why? I think um, I would like to have dinner with Susan B. Anthony because I would like to hear about the, the fight for women's rights to vote. And I would like to ask her how she feels about how we women of this century have, um, in some cases, squandered that right. Hmm. Interesting. Mm hmm Yeah. I think she might be a little disappointed. Well, it's definitely not. It's, the mission has changed, you know, for yep. sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, Joanne. Well, it was really wonderful speaking with you. Like I said, I could talk to you for days about this. It's just so interesting and fascinating to hear your journey. Um, but before we go, can you let listeners know, uh, can you let listeners know where they can reach you 
Absolutely. I um, am happy to share my email, which is VB, as in Virginia Beach, Alberos, A-L-B-E-R-O-S at gmail.com. All right, Joanne. Well, thank you for that. And I'll put that information in the show notes. And all of us, I can, I, I'm confident to speak on behalf of all of us Service Academy women. We thank you for the paving the way for us. And, um, and I really appreciate the chat today. Thank you so much. As promised, here's the little follow-up to a story Joanne shared in the beginning of the episode. So when Joanne was discussing the dynamics amongst the women in her class, she explained how there was always an underlying competition to be the first female to walk across the stage at graduation. She also mentioned that this opportunity would be given to the person that had the highest overall rank based on their military performance and academics. Um, Well, as it turns out, in her first class year, a decision was made to graduate all students alphabetically. So after all that time of competing, it was just alphabetically done anyway. So the cross-country runner that Joanne mentions in the discussion actually ended up being the one to cross the stage first, just because of her last name. And as a result, she was featured on the cover of the New York Times because the U.S. Coast Guard Academy graduated one week before West Point, the Air Force Academy, and the Naval Academy, all of which were graduating their first female class as well. So there you have it. Life laughing at all these competitions we have amongst ourselves. but there are just some things we can't control, so it's always best to just enjoy the ride. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to visit the Service Academy Sorority website to see photos, comprehensive show notes, and contact information for each guest. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. In addition, if you enjoy what you heard here today, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please feel free to submit your contact information on our website at www.serviceacademysorority.com.